it was always part of the plan to put a brewery in, but for many years it, it was just a plan. It's 100% acquisition of Green Beacon. No, we had a chat with everybody. Anyone would have seen this coming a mile away. It's the passion and the, the dedication to beer and brewing. Oh, yeah. That's super simple and direct question. It's always fun to get to speak about beer. And that's just what we're here to do. Talk about beer and the brewing industry and have a conversation with the people who make the industry what it is and see what we can learn from them. I'm Brews News Editor Matt Kirkegaard and today I'm speaking with Liam Pereira, recently appointed Head of Hospitality and Community at Sydney's White Bay Beer Company. Liam has had an incredibly varied career in the brewing industry, from pulling pints in London to working in a hotel bar with early craft beer aspirations to working in bottle shops to being a co-owner of Dave's Brewery Tours in Sydney Beer Week, to working at Batch Brewing, and now his latest position at White Bay Beer Company. He has seen a lot. His career has spanned and also mirrored the formative years of craft beer in Australia. Liam was drawn to the passion and excitement of the industry in its early days, but has also seen it mature and confront a myriad of challenges. This podcast generally looks at what people have learned in the industry, throughout their careers. Liam is one of those people that can really talk about some of the lessons that there are to be learned in the industry and also what he has learned himself. I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did and find it just as valuable. Liam Pereira, welcome to Beer is a Conversation. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Just for those who uh, are listening, we had a quick chat off mic because I knew I'd spoken to Liam. Uh, it must have been... What year did you come involved in Sydney Beer Week or was Sydney Beer Week 2016, 2017? Yeah, I think 2016 and then delivered the first one 2017 from memory. So that's how long we've been doing the podcast because I had to go back and research that. Um, But it's also hard to, uh, you know, again, uh, I've been wanting to get you on because you've had an amazing career in beer. Um, But rather than just say that, let's uh, talk a little bit about it. When we spoke to you last time, we didn't go too much into your personal history, um, yeah. but maybe you can sort of, uh, you know, tell us who is Liam Pereira. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Um, well, I guess my beer journey actually started quite tangentially when I was, um, I moved to the UK um, and I'd done it for a very non-beer reason. I was actually in a, like, a band, and we, as a band, decided we were going to move to the UK, become massive rock stars. <laughs> uh, what genre, just so we know? Uh, it was, like, really hard rock. Okay. Like, like, really hard, heavy, grungy, yeah. Lots of screaming, lots of distortion, and I played bass guitar. Um, and so, yeah, as a band, we uh, shipped all our gear and moved over to London. We were going to set up base there and play around Europe and do all these things. Um, and then what actually happened is, so we sent all our gear by sea. Uh, we got to London. Um, all our gear got, the shipping container got lost at sea for six months. Well, and that was even pre-COVID times. That's- oh, this was like, <laughs> yeah, this was very, very pre-COVID. So, um yeah, so we all just like got jobs and we're just waiting for our gear to, t- to turn up. Um, I, with a, you know, I've been working hospitality, so I uh, blagged my way into a job at a bar in, um, in Bank. So uh, right between Bank and St. Paul's in the financial district in London. And uh, it was a Marston's Brewery owned, owned pub. And I remember the reason I went for the job was. They weren't, you didn't have to submit a resume. You could just rock up for open interview day. So I, <laughs> I rocked up, 
uh, blagged my way into a job and they're like, do you want to hang back for an hour and, and do lunch service? I'm like, yeah, sweet. Um, and the first customer comes up to bar and wants a, a pint of Marston's, which is on hand pump. And I'd never poured a hand pump beer before. So I literally pulled the handle down. I was holding it down. I said, that's broken. <laughs> what's going on? They're like, no, nah, it's a pump. You got to pump it. And I'm like, oh, um, still got the job. So yeah, must've done something right. But, um, and that's really where my beer journey started because, um, I, I mean, I drank beer, but I drank, I wasn't, I wouldn't consider myself a beer drinker, but then I was in a pub that had six hand pumps. You know, we had things like, um, star apartment on tap, um, a bunch of Europe, uh, European import lagers. And sort of from there, it was like when I started clicking about different flavors in beer, um, and then being a Marston's pub, they took their um, hand pumps very seriously. Mm. So, because, um, you know, camera was a big thing at the time. We would have the local camera brigade call us and say, we're coming on, on, on Friday to try your beers. And so you had to make sure the taps were pouring perfectly. Um, and then, but the coolest thing about working for the Marston's brewery pub was um, the brew team actually had the power to shut down the pub if uh, the, the hand pumps weren't, went up to scratch. So there was like a certain level of elevation where if we had issues with one of the hand pumps, we would have to call someone from the brewery to come out to fix it. And if they weren't happy with how we were treating our cellar, they could shut down the pub till that was corrected. Wow. Okay. So you weren't uh, holding the tap handle down uh, when they were in? (laughs) So I think I just showed a lot of interest in it. And so in the end, I was kind of like the cellarman of the the pub. And so like... uh, So what year was this? Just just, uh, Um, to to give some context? Um, I worked there for a year and a half and I left right when the GFC happened. So 2007, 2008, um, yeah, into two, yeah. yeah, okay. Side note, working in a, in a bar in bank during the GFC was a, a very interesting thing, but, um, why is it, why is that? You can't sort of, uh, just tease us with that. Because my customers were the ones that caused it. <laughs> 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 um, yeah, but anyway, so that's sort of where my beer journey started and then, um, the band sort of like, you know, the gear still went miss, was still lost at sea. People started slowly moving back and it was sort of me and one other member of the band were still there. And I was, I was like, oh man, like I, I've got to go back home um, because I was on a, a working holiday visa. And so I could only work at the one venue for a, for a year, I think it was. And so I had to like change jobs. Uh, my sister was getting married back here in Australia and then in that same week, I got uh, a letter that my apartment was getting knocked down in a month and we had to move. <laughs> and sort of all the things aligned. I was like, oh, I think it's time to go back home. So and I remember the day Show me I... Show a sign. <laughs> exactly right. And the day I uh, booked my flight back home, we got an email saying they found our shipping container at sea. And so... <laughs> Did, and so I mean, that really is a sign that maybe music isn't your future. <laughs> Hundred percent. Never having heard so, you play, there's no comment on your your ability. No, no, say. no, hundred <laughs> um, percent. Yeah, that was. Um, yeah, it's so I, I came to terms with the fact that I wasn't going to be a rock god, and um, had to go back to work. But um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so I came back to the Sydney, and um, uh, so the, yeah, by this stage, my interest in beer was I'd really sparked and was really you know searching out and buying beers, and I remember coming back the Sydney and wanting to find different beers. And at the time it was pretty much German and Belgian beers were what you could get. Right. Like, um, so I remember, cause I didn't have a car when I came back and I was 
blagging my mum to drive me to like the ends of the earth to these bottle shops so I could pick up these beers. Um, you know, I was getting, and that's from that was looking for jobs. And I saw um, the pump house in Darling Harbour were were advertising for bartenders, and they were saying, "Well, we've got a big beer selection." So I was like, "Oh, cool!" So I went for this job. And then I think they were just about pushing 100 beers in the fridge at that time. I remember the pump house. It doesn't exist anymore, yeah. does it? it, it was no, it's still there. It's still, as a craft beer. still there. It's a bit less craft beer focused. But um, yeah, so it's still there. It's really, for those who haven't been, it's a really weird pub because it's basically the a hotel bar. Yep. Right. That was, I think that was the first of, place that we met. Um, yes. Yeah, no, 100%. Yeah. Um, so it's... A glorified hotel lobby bar, I guess you could say, but a very big one. So there was uh, Josh, who was like sort of the beer man there at the time, was was uh, looking after the beers. And they had quite, I think they were probably about 80 or something at that time, beers in the fridge. And like again, had a natural inclination and interest in the beer. So I sort of was taken under his wing. And eventually when he moved on, I was looking after the beer ordering and the beer program there. Um, and it was just a very lucky time i think it's when we started seeing a lot of really interesting beers come into the country um i remember getting the first shipment of brew dogs into the country for example um and i'm pretty sure we had ended up chucking the first brew dog beers we got in because they went out of date because people just weren't buying them you know this is the time of like when rogue beers were coming into the country and there was inspire uh, um dave andrews oh yeah and rickard and um i forget the other gentleman's name from inspire but uh dave andrews uh it was dave yeah. andrews, exactly right yeah so um we were um getting in some amazing beers um nugnaro and mickler and all these beers were just starting to come to the country so it was a really i think my timing was very lucky and that really cemented me into the beer industry from that point on and and it's interesting, you know, you, obviously you'd had some beer experience, but there, there's a lot about the Pump House story that typifies the time where there was something opportunistic. Businesses that saw an opportunity, beer was just starting to become, you know, of interest. Beer's time in, in the sun was coming. Yeah. So you could have a hotel bar that goes, well, we're going to mark ourselves out. And then the guy that's working there that has an interest in it, you know, is, is advanced really because yeah. of, of, of that interest. And to be honest, I think the hotel and management hated the fact it was purely employee driven. <laughs> they would have loved it if we could just stock twoies. And because I think it was a twoies contracted tap tap system as mm. well. Um, and they, I think ownership would have loved the fact if we just didn't do it. But it was purely passionate employees who wanted to do something cool that led that and then in the long term the ownership had to be like oh actually this is a unique thing for us we should probably go go with it but it was purely just a couple of us behind the bar like wanting to drink good beers and we might come back once we've gone through your full career and talk about some of the lessons you've learned from times like that but mm -hmm. you know i guess it's also indicative of the time i mean these days i can after 20 years i can go to a conference of indie brewers and not know half the people in the room um, yeah. probably even that would be a stretch um these days but in those days social media meant that you know basically anyone who was into craft beer and particularly working in the industry knew each other <laughs> to, to some extent which it would it have been purely, how i heard it was purely uh, other people on their days off keeping these venues afloat because 
you know, like it was, I think at the time, like the tap house in Sydney was like the leading craft beer venue. And there was a couple other smaller ones, but like, you know, we would on our days off go to the tap house and drink there and the tap house crew would come and drink at our place. And that was pretty much where we turned over most of the beers. And again, we'll come back to some of the learnings because I think a lot of people who are opening venues now are still in, have been planning theirs since those days and forgetting that the industry's changed. But we'll we'll, we'll see whether you agree with me on that. So you were at the Pump House for how long? Uh, Probably about three years. And by that point, I'd pretty much decided that the beer industry is what I wanted to to be in. Why is that? Uh, It was that pure excitement and... um, I guess a bit of a cowboy nature, I guess you could say. There, was, there wasn't really rules. You could sort of make your own rules at that point in time. Um, and there was, that, there was a real cavalier aspect to it, which... Um, and, like, you know, I would, I'd come from a hospitality background and I was, like, probably was leaning towards wanting to focus on something. And at that point, you could probably go in the beer, maybe, but, and there was wine. But then the wine scene was just so buttoned up and so strict and there was set rules... And beer was this, like, younger thing and, like, there wasn't a rule book. We were kind of writing it as it went along. And that that really uh, drew me to the fact that it was, like, you could just do it your way a little bit. Um, but, yeah, so I decided that beer was the industry I wanted to get into. Um, and I thought, all right, well, I've worked in venues. I've got understanding of that side. But then there was this whole, like, takeaway sales and bottle shops and that type of thing that I didn't really have a feel for. So I thought, oh, maybe that would be a good... Because at that point you know, you're you're a bartender in beer, like the only job there is is a sales rep, right? Like that's the only job there is in beer because that's the only other people you knew in beer was was sales reps for these breweries. So I thought if I get a job in a bottle shop and I can understand that point, then I've got the sort of the two customer pillars and from there I could go for a a job as a sales rep. Um, And I believe, um, and so I ended up moving on to Camperdown Cellars um, another classic uh, craft beer. Another classic, yeah. And I think the way that happened is we had an industry event at the Pump House and uh, with uh, Vine Stefan and um, the head brewer for Vine Stefan had come to town. We were doing a, a dinner event and we did an industry event on top of that as well. And some of the crew from Camp and Antillas were there. And I met one of the management team and he was like, oh, we're looking for people. So like, I kind of just, I'm like, all right, sweet. And so I think Three days in a row on my days off, I just magically appeared at Camperdown Cellars in Parramatta Road asking if if Colin was around and he was always at lunch. And then someone was like, you keep on coming here. What's up? He's like, oh, I want a job. He's like, oh, I'll just talk to this guy. And then pretty much that's how I um, yeah started at Camperdown Cellars. Uh, was very underskilled in the ways of running a bottle shop. But I, I think I was like 10% smarter than or 10% more attuned than other people. So very quickly was thrust into a management position where I just had to pretend I knew about wine and spirits and these types of things. And, um, but it was another point where, um, there was passionate people who were working in the industry who really loved beer. And we were able that it always had a strong beer showcase, but I think also with that timing of exciting new international breweries coming into the scene and their stock coming into Australia, we were able to put together an awesome range of, um, of beers in, in, in the venues. And so ended up working at a couple of the different stores across the Camperdown group. Um, and then was always, I remember, I remember like getting one of the Moondog uh, Iron Lung releases, probably like the second or third one. And head office like were breaking their brain because 
basically it was going to have to be a $60 six pack. <laughs> ridiculous. And I was like, nah, just wait. And then in a week I'd sold that case of beer. You know what I mean? Like, and then they're like, oh, well, what else can you do? And we kind of were just going and going forward. And it was that, I think my career timing and industry timing was just, I was very lucky where it was at that point where there was no ceiling and you could just sort of keep on going. I mean, and you and me both. And you know, again, yeah. Um, yeah. As, as we'll probably come back to when we sort of uh, talk about your lessons, um, I think it's very important to recognize when it's not your genius or your talent, it's just your luck um, for, for timing. <laughs> um, but then how you seize onto that is, is often talent and, uh, and, and, and ability. Yeah. And if I look back at like, you know, my, the knowledge and you know, particularly after studying and stuff like that now that I have did some pretty stupid things back then, but um, no one knew any better. So just, just keep on going. <laughs> and also, you know, whilst again, social media was there, it was a much different social, you know, no, your, 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 your sins were better hidden um, or yes. your, your mistakes yeah. were better yeah. hidden than I suspect that they are these days. 100%. So yeah, look, there was a lot of learnings and I, you know, I remember being at, at the pump house and we were doing some beer dinners and we we're doing an IPA dinner and I had some IPAs in the fridge that were pretty long in the tooth that I wasn't, my palate wasn't attuned to that at the time. I remember doing a beer dinner and we served, uh, I won't say the brewery, a local brewery's IPA that I had held onto for too long. And it was um, Jeff and Richard at Beer Cartel were, were there and they pulled me aside. I was like, hey, mate, that IPA is a bit, a bit old. I'm like, oh, oh, yeah. And but that was like served at a beer dinner. And like, you know, these days I'll be mortified if something like that happens. But um, just didn't know any better at the time, to be honest. But yeah. <laughs> but, but again, it was it was a very wild west. It was everybody was learning, I, I think, at that yeah, stage. 100%. Yeah. Um, so... From Camperdown Cellars and, and that group, what was the next yeah. move? Then I took a bit of a left turn after that, and I was working for Time Out magazine. And they had their Bottle Lightning Co., which was their sort of beer I'd club. I'd forgotten about that, yeah. Yeah, um, which they had launched before I went there, and I'd run into Mike, who, uh, Mike Rodriguez, who owned Camperdown at the time. Uh, sorry, uh, Time Out at the time. And we, we just got along, and we were like became like would hang out and have some beers and he wanted someone at time out with some beer knowledge um because he could see sort of the that scene booming and you know time out being a a hospitality and you know nightlife culture sort of a aspect wanted someone with a bit of beer knowledge and so i sort of came on board i was doing part-time at camperdown and doing a couple of days a week with time out um and then, yeah, was working, working for them full time, sort of doing that sort of beer experience stuff with Bottle Lightning Co. And also um, assisting like the editorial team with some beer content and that type of stuff as well. Um, did that for a while. And then um, from there, moved on to Dave's Brewery Tours um, with, with Dave, with Dave Phillips. Um, and that was, interestingly, we had a... At time out, we were talking with Dave because we we're both doing beer experiences and we sort of had a few catch ups trying to see if there's something we could do to get together. And then I finished up a time out and um, I, I finished up on a Friday and I had a meeting scheduled with Dave on the Monday. So I called him and said, hey, mate, like we're going to have to cancel this meeting. Um, I've just finished up uh, the job. And he's like, oh, what are you doing next? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> and he's like, well, uh, 
don't do it. Don't say yes to anything till we've had a chat because, you know, and so basically ended up doing some work with Dave. And I, I remember it was December. It was the start of December when I finished up the timeout. And I was like, I'm going to take the rest of December off, enjoy Christmas, worry about something in the new year. Um, and at the same time, Dave was like, hey, can you come do some tours and do some help with me? And um, the batch guys were like, oh, hey, um, do you want to do a couple of shifts in the bar? So I went from taking a, some, a month off to working two jobs <laughs> and working seven days a week for December. Um, and yeah, and that sort of lent to that. So I was doing part-time behind the bar at Batch and I sort of was like covering like, you know, doing Sundays and managing the bar on Sundays so the, so the supervisors could have a day off and that type of stuff. Uh, doing tours with Dave's Brewery Tours. And somewhere around that time, I was also doing some shifts at the Welcome Hotel in in Roselle as well. Wow. Okay. But it, tell me about Dave's Brewery Tours because, again, I, 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 just tracking my own um, memories is, you know, I started good beer lunches in, which was my tastings business. You know, I was sort of just doing lunches once yeah, yeah. once a, a, a month yeah. uh, uh, eventually um, because there was no way you could go to get craft beer, so we would get them. And people instinctively started saying, oh, you know, this is fantastic. You should be running, you should do brewery tours and take people. And, you know, I looked into it and the, I just couldn't see how the costs for a meaningful job um, stand up, particularly when you've got, you know, buses that you either need to hire or buy and all of those. So no one wants yeah. to do it on a Tuesday morning. Um, it's yeah, always Saturday, Sunday. Yeah. Um, so yeah. your inventory is incredibly limited. Um, and if you want to run more tours on a Saturday, you need more buses. Um, and, I, you know, again, I don't see myself as a business person or a, a genius. I just have a very, very low threshold for risk, um, which sharpens you know, again, my my willingness to take on things I just don't see working. Why after all these years you're still here, right? Because... <laughs> oh, look, I think other people with more of a tolerance for risk or more entrepreneurial bent could have actually made money out of out of doing it. You know, like I'm, I'm still like the little subsistence <laughs> farmer who is, uh, you know, keeping my family fed and not much yeah. else. Um, <laughs> but anyway, but again, I, I, I don't owe anybody anything. Um, but... Yeah. You know, it's an industry where a lot of people say, why don't you do this? And in terms of an attractive thought, it often has an attractive thought. But in terms of a, you know, a, a business, um, you know, tours, um, and, and I, it's just one of the reasons why I remember that when the first walking tours of Sydney came about, I thought that's a great idea. Um, yeah. But by the same token, I didn't start doing those because I thought, well, where's the barrier of entry? Any schmo can say, hey, I'm a beer expert um, and do the tours, which is where Dave's Brewery Tour actually had a, you know, again, somebody who was very entrepreneurial created a big enough brand that it was very hard to compete against. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Look, it was a really exciting time. Um, I think... And also, uh, I guess, much like we're talking about my the start of my career and timing, I think Dave and Dave's Brewery Tours and its timing in the boom of the Sydney beer scene was was exactly the right person at exactly the right time. Um, you know, this is when sort of... Uh, oh, I'm trying to think. So breweries that were around at the time when Dave started would have been Rocks Brewing in Alexandria, uh, Young Henry's in yep. Newtown... Batch. 
trying to think who else would have been around. That that would have been about Red Oak. It. So Red Oak would have been around. Red, Red Oak, yes, one hundred percent. Red Oak, uh, Hearts Pub, um, not as a brewery, but as a, a beer venue. Yep. Um, and so, but the uh, the notion of going out to on a brewery crawl or going to a brewery was still quite new for people, and I think uh, people really needed their hand carried along to go to breweries. And so the idea of, I don't know where these breweries are. I don't know how this works. So I, I'll pay someone to guide me through these breweries and teach me about beer was, uh, was, I thought was genius at the time. And so, and I remember like seeing like, you know, having a beer at a brewery or whatever on the weekend and seeing the Dave's bus pull up. And it was like, it, it was a smick looking operation. They had this wrapped bus, um, tour guides in, you know, in uniforms and, they knew that they looked, they, you know, and they would, you'd see them go to a brewery and shake the hands and sit them behind the bar. And then all of a sudden they're at the back of the brewery and I'm sitting in at the front of the brewery, like a sucker, like these guys, you know, they've got, they've got it going. So, um, yeah. And so I, I, you know, and hanging out with Dave and talking to him when I was at timeout, he was, a he is, he is and, and was a very, you know, he was switched on. He was yep. a up operator and, um, yeah, it was, it was, uh, and he had a a confidence and I guess enthusiasm, which was really something that I wanted to get behind as well. And he saw um, skills in me in my knowledge and you know being able to communicate to the general punter about beer. And I think it's a big part of my belief and my where my place is in the, in the beer industry is um, is education and like. I find sometimes beer service can be very snooty. Like you're looking down on, on the common people who don't know about beer. And going back, you asked me before about why I decided to get into beer because it was, you know, it was the cooler one. It was, there was no rules and it was meant to be open to everyone. And so I've, it's been my like sort of life mission in beer to, to educate people in a way that enthusiasm is enthusiastic and, make people want to understand and learn more about beer and not feel stupid for not knowing because that was me when when i was learning about wine it was like well how come you don't know what side of the rhine valley this grape was grown on um but and you know and so and slowly but surely beer has gone a little bit that way um where you know you're expected to know the difference between an ipa and an ipl um so yeah so for me it was that that point of education and and bringing a person who's not a wouldn't call themselves a beer drinker into that world um and that's really what dave's was all about yeah so i I still don't know how but like i didn't have a driver's license yet i was doing (laughs) brewery tours and so i i was like and because you know normally you got a a guide who's driving the bus taking people around the brewery so they can't have a beer but i was the extra guide so someone else was driving which meant i could have a beer with everyone at each of the breweries um which is, yeah, so I still don't know how I got away with that one. But, um, uh, yeah, so I was uh, doing tours. And I guess because of that, I wasn't driving. I was sort of doing the bigger tours. So, like, when we needed to get a bigger bus and there'll be, like, 12, 15 punters on a tour. Um, yeah, and so a lot of that was teaching people about how the process of beers made, beers ingredients, taking them behind the scenes, and then just supporting these amazing uh young breweries at the time the business model sounds fantastic when you describe it like that you know and and again as a passionate beer person getting to share that passion and bring people to the fold is yeah. a huge reward and it's a huge you know 
um, passion filler, um, you know, restorer when, whenever you're doing that. And as an industry observer, that's often what I see people see. That's the only part of it they see. But the brewery tours at the same time really does highlight the economic challenges that any business, because again, you know, Monday mornings, no one wants to do a brewery tour. Um, so yeah. the inventory that you've got to sell, the, the, the times you've got available is, is limited to when people actually want to go. Um, you've got the costs, you know, you're getting paid that you've got to pay for the bus. Um, you need a certain number of breweries. You got to, yeah. Um, and, yeah. But, and, and that's, and then you've got to negotiate with breweries because yeah. that's one of the things that I've also found is that if somebody comes into the brewery, um, as a business doing tours, you're saying, we're introducing people to your brewery and they're going, yeah. well, that's fine. But if they're a tourist from another state, you know, they're not going to come back, <laughs> kind of yeah, thing. Yeah. And everyone's got to see, well, what's in it for me and how do I make this pay? It's not just, hey, isn't it awesome there are people in your bar on a Saturday? Yeah, now, there was some really interesting insights. So like, you know, yeah, Saturdays was our busiest point for tours. And I'm trying to think back, but I think the record would have been about 180 people on a tour on one day. Okay. So at its peak, we had, you know, um, I think we owned three three buses, three 10-seater buses, but then we were also hiring buses and stuff like that. So I think, and we had a, a pretty amazing group of tour guides who were all in the beer industry to one point or another. Some of them were working, you know, in beer during the week at a brewery um, in, you know, brewing you know we had a couple of brewers who were like monday to friday brewing and then also doing tours on the weekends um people who are like i think the first ever tafe brew course in sydney i think three of three of the people on that course were days brewery tour tour guides at the time um so there, there were, were all young people who are you know in our career development in the in the in the beer industry but also doing these tours as well which is really cool um, so yeah, we had, you know, there was like 10, sometimes different guides at any one time on 10 different buses, taking people around Sydney on a Saturday and you'd start at the office and you'd be loading up your buses and you'd say, you know, have a quick chat to everyone. Then you go do your tours and then at the end of the day, you'd catch up for a beer and just be absolutely shell shocked and, and spent because you're babysitting adults for the day. Um, <laughs> I, <but it> was, <laughs> people are paying me to have a beer with them. It's kind of like, you know. The one thing I learned is I've never been so thirsty as when I've had to serve other people beers all day and drive them around. <laughs> and then, I'll tell you what, we used to like write ourselves off afterwards <laughs> because you, you know, you're being sober all day and then the minute you, you park the bus, you're like cracking up in a tinny. Pretty, and around pretty people pretty. whose spirits are lifting, you know, as they have that, exactly that, right, that drink yeah. and they're sort of, they're, they're enjoying themselves. It's, it is infectious. I was sort of, yeah, so I got all the hard groups because I got all the bucks parties and these types of things because um, because I was like, you know, the additional person. So I got the big groups because it was always me and someone else driving. So, uh, yeah, you know, and we did a lot of things. We were very, uh, did a lot of pre-work on bucks parties and making sure it was not just a loose group and people who actually you know we so i was doing bookings for some time as well so i'll be there during the week processing the bookings taking inquiries and a lot of the time it was like oh i've got a group of 10 friends on a saturday it's like oh cool what's the occasion oh you know just catch <laughs> up and like this is a this is a bucks party and you like basically have to read them the riot act and like 
you'd have the ones like, look, we don't want to do a traditional Bucks party. We're all, you know, we just want to have something a bit more civilized. And they're the groups you would take. Um, and I think we had a pretty good stre- uh, record of that. I remember the first ever tour I did was a corporate one and it was loose. And I was with another guy because it was like my first time. And the first thing I did was saw around, turned around and there was a guy with his mouth underneath the taps at the bar pouring a beer into his mouth. Um, that didn't last too long. And I think besides that, there was, in my knowledge of my time at Dave's, there was only one time where we literally just went, nah, and just dropped the guys off the train station and said, see you later. Yeah, and, uh, but it's funny you say that because, again, over the years, people have come to me and have said, you know, I'm going to do bus tours or I'm going to do this. And you said, oh, what's your market? You know, and, and, and oh, you know, Bucks Party is just perfect for that. And it sounds like a great idea until you yeah. realize that the problems that that audience brings in are far greater than anything you're ever going to charge them. Um, so again, with, with my business, if, if I ever did it, it was very much as you said, you know, you learn very quickly, you don't want to do bucks parties and you never want to do it after they've had the game of golf where they've had the um, no. beers all day. It's, you want to be the lunch and then they kick on afterwards. Yeah. And even then it's very much assessing what they're doing because it's it's not what you signed up for you're never going to make money and it's actually not the experience that you want to give because like you know like a big part of that and what dave was awesome at and what taught me a lot was like his relationship with all those breweries that we were going to he would be in there every week during the week talking to them you know um you know and he really stressed on us as guides at the fact that us bringing one bad group into a brewery and then misbehaving the brewery is detrimental to his whole business mm. because it's all built on this relationship with his partner breweries and and that type of thing as well. So it was, yeah, it was a really, Dave taught me a lot about business in general that I, I still take on to this day. So, yeah. Uh, again, another time when we, we could learn in secret, you know, um, yeah. writing about <laughs> I call this podcast my master's in business um, because <laughs> I, I get to speak to some of the smartest minds in the industry and have done for you know 12 years asking them questions about their business and learn and apply it to my own business um, on, on a day-to-day. Yeah, learning from mistakes, uh, which, you know, everyone makes mistakes. It's how you learn from them that's going to define your success, right? We'll jump to your next um, career, which is in in venues. But just while we're talking about Dave still, you know, having seen it from the other side of the business, you know, rather than selling breweries on the idea of, you know, isn't it fantastic that we're going to be bringing people in on a Saturday lunchtime? Yeah. um, What's your perspective now that you've had the alternative experience where people are trying to pitch you this, you know, I'm going to give a craft beer passport to people that, you know, all you have to do is do X, um, and you'll be included in it. I mean, it's it's pretty interesting because, like, after finishing up with the Dave's group, and that was like, you know, doing the brew tours, Sydney Beer Week, Cicerone. Uh, um, my next job was back at Batch, and then I was dealing with Dave's brewery tours from the other side and other tour groups and other things as well. And uh, it was a hard point because that was that transitional thing where people didn't need a tour leader to take them into the breweries in Sydney anymore that, that it had developed and I always not to the same degree but always akin it to like Bermondsley in, in London where you had these strip of amazing breweries in a very close distance and all of a sudden it became so big they had to like turn people away and that was Marrickville on, on a Saturday like at Batch we would open at 10 o'clock on a Saturday morning 
by midday, we had a line at the door and we were at capacity and that was it for the day. So then having to go to, to, to Dave's and be like, hey, if you want to come in on Saturday, you need to come here as the first stop at 10 o'clock. Otherwise, I can't let you in. When part of the reason that the brewery was so successful was people like Dave's Breweries who was bringing people in and showing them how to, how to visit those breweries at the same time. But, you know, we, I had other operators who were bringing tours in and there was another guy who I banned after his first tour from bringing tour groups in because he literally just got a bus driver, picked up a, a Bucks party and then, like, was no guide and, was like, these guys were just cutting wild, cut them off. And I was like, mate, you're not coming people back in, you're not bringing your, your groups back into the brewery because, and he's like, oh, why, just because I'm not Dave? I'm like, no, because they have a tour guide. They look after their... They, they babysit the people. I'm not babysitting your group for you. Um, yeah, and so seeing that and um, it was very interesting and like uh, working, I think it may be a better venue manager by having that experience from the other side and the value of it and working relationships to help people with your business as well. Now, while you were with Dave's, um, Dave's also took on Sydney Beer Week that yeah. I think if I remember the... As a very quick summary without knowing the ins and outs, you know, we had Good Beer Week in Melbourne had started largely when there was no nothing around the AIBAs. And so it sort of sprung up. There was a, an absolute need. There was a demand. Um, everyone was in town. Um, Beer and Brewer had a, had a thing that tried a couple of times and failed. And then uh, Good Beer Week sort of sprung out of the vacuum that that was created. And then I think it was the Beer TV guys who yes. founded the Sydney version, saying, well, you know, God, this worked in... And, and then we also had um, The Scratch and a couple of others creating uh, a beer festival in Brisbane. So each, each of them started. And then Dave's took over Sydney Beer Week, or I think even assumed the debt. Is that... Yeah, um, so there was... So the Beer Men TV had started it and then it had sort of evolved and they were involved, but it was other people running it and it was like um, Sydney Craft Beer Week. And then they, I believe there was a year they didn't deliver a festival. And that was around the time that um, Dave and myself and another business partner, Sean, I started talking to the current owner of the time about um, taking over the festival. So they, they were at a point where they weren't delivering mm. beer week at that point, but they had owned the name and stuff like that as well. And so there wasn't really a debt that was taken on, but we paid them for the rights for okay. the name. And even though we didn't use it in the end, because that was another big thing is like, we dropped the craft out of the name and just called it Sydney Beer Week. Mm. And that had a, a bit of backlash at the time because people were worried about, we were trying to commercialize Always from people who aren't trying to pay their mortgage based on what they do <laughs> you know? True. and, and probably also, won't pay for it themselves. No, 100%, 100%. But also it was more like that was the start, I would say, of the normalizing of the beer industry. Um, like you would never see a brewery brewing a lager back then, right? Because that's what the big boys did and you were staying as far away as that as possible. But that was that point where it was starting to come together and it was pretty obvious that the future of beer-focused or craft-focused venues was not necessarily being a craft beer venue or a mainstream venue, but offering things for everyone. And that's where you're starting to see success in Sydney of like, you know, I think of my local, the Forest Lodge Hotel, which is always catered to everyone. It's got amazing craft beers, but also has Tui's and Carlton on tap at the same time. 
And I think, yeah, so that was the discussion around that. And the other point is, yeah, so we did buy the name and the rights to it. Um, you know, we didn't have to. We could have just started another one on another completely name, but we bought the rights. We bought the, you know, the the IP, the website and that type of stuff. Changed it up a little bit um, and did go to corporate sponsorship to keep it. To So I think we had CUB as a, a sponsor for the first beer week, which did also ripple some feathers at the time. But um, it yeah, it was it was a really interesting time actually because, and I think I put a lot of grey hairs on Dave's head, um, because of it because I was my job was to if beer if you if you're running a beer week and you finish the year with ten grand in your bank account, you haven't done your beer week properly, right? Because that money should have been spent on the on the event like you got staff to pay and whatnot well, i was going to say are you including paying yourself before uh... no i like to say like you're paying <laughs> staff and all that stuff as well um if you've made a, a massive profit on your beer week you probably could have invested more into the events um but you could also like lose 50 grand very very easily so um yeah it was a and like dave during that whole period was like you looking at the books and like making sure that, you know, it was a point where, yeah, we could have, you know, we maybe made like, look, we didn't lose money on the first year, but we didn't. Yeah. It was like, we like, you know, we came out, we're like, yeah, we got some money. We got enough that we could like invest in things till money starts coming in for the next festival next year. Mm. But we could have very easily been 50 grand in the hole. Like that's when I laugh whenever any business starts up saying that they're a not-for-profit. I'm going, well, show me anyone in this industry who's not, you know. <laughs> yeah. Maybe not intentionally, but certainly in, in, in reality. I mean, you could say your business is not-for-profit, but your staff are definitely going to be for-profit because everyone's got to pay rent, right? Like, But, yeah, so that was a really interesting time. And, um, yeah, it was, it was hard. And Sydney, the Sydney beer scene is hard because everyone's battling to keep their their business going and it and they everyone wants to work together but they got everyone's got to look after them a little bit as well and like i don't begrudge that i'm not having mm. a, a, a diss at anyone but like you know it's just the nature of the game and sometimes like i i, I look from afar at you know the brisbane scene and what the guys what the team at scratch and that cooperative have done of venues to put on a really nice curated beer week and um i was like oh why why is it so hard in sydney but then it's just it's a bigger beast and i guess as these things grow um it becomes harder to to keep everyone happy and again, I'd comment on this, um, but you know, my observation was also, and in fact, I think it was the 2018 Sydney Beer Week, we were asked to do some panels. And one of the ones that we did, um, because this is what we do, was uh, a panel on have Beer Weeks had that day. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I thought I, it was I'll important. That, yeah, yeah I, th I thought it was an important question to ask because, you know, a great discussion as well. yeah. when, when we look at, um, you know, like your history, the powerhouse probably couldn't have, couldn't start now doing the beer selection that it had because yeah. there are so many. The pump house, sorry, yeah, 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 you're right. Uh, yeah, yeah. Sorry, the pump house, sorry. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, 
you know, and, and your and my career wouldn't have started in the same way if we did. And beer weeks were largely to satisfy that unmet need. Yes. For for beer. But these days, if you walk into a pub and you can talk about independence um, or not, not, but just about every pub at least has Bolter XPA on, um, you know, a, a couple of other craft beers. Um, and you don't have to go too far to find a bottle shop that meets the needs that a very expensive beer festival has to incur to, to start from scratch. Mm-hmm. That's true. And like um, at the time, like, you know, like with Sydney Beer Week, we spent a lot of time talking to other um, similar events and festivals, you know, across across the world. Like I remember um, Mira was in town, um, Mira Bellini, and he was uh, when he was involved with Good Beer Week and he was like, hey, man, I'm in Sydney. Like, do you want to catch up for a beer? And I was just like, I think we just delivered the first Beer Week at that point. And it was like just being able to like talk to someone who's done the same thing and some of those pressures. And we had an awesome night just chatting about like difficulties of putting a beer week on. But then at the same time, I remember Dave and I caught up with um, the head of uh, San Francisco beer week. And we're looking at their model about the fact that that's basically a free festival that's funded by the San Francisco Brewers Guild. And so that was like, you know, the breweries are paying to be part of the guild and that's what funds the beer festival, not charging punters tickets to fund the beer festival. And, and that was a really interesting thing, but it was like, at that point, there was not that infrastructure to be able to do something like that well, in Sydney and Australia at the time. Brisbane's version was, um, Bruce Vegas. Um, yes. that the guys from the scratch again, very early, you know, some of the people who can take a lot of credit for kicking off craft beer in, in, in Brisbane. Yeah, and exactly. their model was always, you know, not for profit in in that nobody was paid to do it. It was basically the venues banded together, formed an organising committee, and did it for the goodness you know to, to, of the industry to celebrate the industry. Yeah. But the challenge with that is that on on one hand, it's it like for, for for one of a better term, it's a pure festival in that they can just do things that are worth doing. But at the same time, it really relies on the passion and and the generous self-interest of people who stand to benefit from it for for everybody and it hasn't been run for a few years because it's uh, presumably because it's so taxing um on 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 that passion um i mean catch up with someone who you know one of the guy one of the team from scratch or any of those venues on the monday after they've delivered that week and ask them how they're feeling then because you know you're putting in a lot of work and you know, for the for them in Bris Vegas, then for not a lot of in return, but purely for the passion and wanting to do something great for the scene. And there is only an element, like you know, people say, oh, but it's good for their business because it's good for the industry. Yes, they get some promotion, and yes, it does hopefully bring more people to beer. But again, but they're probably running some of those events at a loss. They're uh, having to output a lot of cash in stock that they wouldn't normally carry, and you know, like yeah. It does. It's a great showcase for what they can do, but yeah, I don't know. It's hard when you look at the other side of things as well. Uh, look, I have nothing but respect for anyone who yeah. wants to do that stuff because they I, do it because they love it. I, I guess yeah. The, the reason I, I hear so many people 
bagging any festival, you know, that they, they turn up and go, well, where'd my $35 to get in the door? I didn't even get a beer for that. And they don't see yeah. the security and the toilets and the, you know, the, the venue hire and all of those things um, that they forget about. Yeah. Um, so, but moving on. So, so you moved on. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, what, yeah. where did you move next? So after that was, was back to batch. Um, and it was funny because the, the offices for Dave's and Sydney Beer Week was literally the building behind Batch. And so I think I spent more time there drinking when I didn't work at Batch than when I did work at Batch. But um, but yeah, so um, I think I delivered the last Beer Week and it was actually during that week I thought, you know, this is probably the last one I'm going to do because it is a taxing thing. It is pretty stressful, um, also very rewarding. But um, And... Chris and Andrew from Batch had talked about the fact that they were planning to open up their second venue at the time, um, which was uh, which was Small Batch. Um, and so they asked me if I wanted to come on, if I was interested in coming on board to like sort of lead the the venues and help bring that second venue to light. And so that was what I did, I think, December of that year, or I think January I started, yeah. Um, and then came on board a Batch, so was heading up the tasting room at Marrickville, and then we were in the planning stages of delivering and opening um, Small Batch and Petersham at the same time. So I think it was about six, nine months after I came on board that Small Batch opened up. And I, I mean, I love that the Batch guys, again, I remember, I'm pretty sure I first met them when we were doing a, a tasting in Sydney before that even opened. And, you know, it was called Batch because they wanted to do small batches of beer that they wanted to do. And it was a different time in the industry as well. What did you learn about the industry, you know, through your time at Batch? I yeah, it was I, I learned a lot during my time at Batch and I learned a lot from a lot of different people because one of I think Chris and Andrew's skills was bringing in other passionate people and it wasn't two people running that brewery, there was a team of passionate people being that from the brew team and we've had some amazing brewers come through that brewery um, and gone on and do lots of many great things in, in the industry as well. Um, you know, like that tasting room, that bar team was humming before I got there. And so we had a, a great crew of people behind the bar that were passionate and really knowledgeable and people who wouldn't call themselves beer people, but knew a lot about beer just from being in that venue. Um, to like, you know, um, Ryan, who was, uh, who had worked him and I worked quite a lot together and he was sort of like he'd started on the bar he was on the bar when I came in and he was doing marketing one or two days a week um so he was creating a lot of the social media content some of the, the b-label designs and I remember my first week going to Chris Chris and Andrew and me like Ryan needs to get off the bar and do this full time and they're like oh we don't know if we got enough work for him I was like nah like and he was yeah pretty much became full-time doing all the all the social media content so if you think about uh, Andrew's BBC and N videos. Um, yep. Yeah, and Ryan was like the quiet person behind the scenes that created a lot of that stuff, a lot of awesome beer labels. Um, so yeah, we had an amazing creative team and I think it was such a collaborative thing where we could, every, anyone could bring ideas forward and like I was really lucky with Small Batch that Small Batch was run very differently to the main brewery as far as me and the brew team basically kind of let carte blanche do what we wanted at small batch and it was very much uh beg for forgiveness instead of ask for permission sort of a, a an idea like we would brew some beers and then we'd be like oh let's scale this up and bring it to to the big brewery and then 
you would realize how much we spent on fruit or, <laughs> or this ingredient. And then we, we like, what the hell are you guys doing? It's like, oh, it was a sick beer though. But like, <laughs> so yeah, having that creative freedom. Um, and that was something Chris and Andrew really let us do some really cool things. And I think back to a lot of the events that we did, um, like the Sour Fest festivals um, and the car park, you know, telling your brew team that you want them to brew 10 unique sour beers all to be on tap at one time, uh, bringing in other breweries. Um, we did an awesome event, which never really got to happen during lockdown, which was one of the hardest things we've ever done, which was Collabathon, which is basically doing 10 collab beers at one time. Uh, and anyone who's in brewery scheduling will pull their hair out trying to think how you can brew 10 collab beers at one time. Um, so we, we brewed 10 amazing beers that we didn't get a chance to do a festival on, but released them as a, as a mixed case. Um, and things like that was like being able to give the freedom to do some awesome creative things and learning a lot just by like, cause it hasn't been done before. And I think that was the greatest thing I learned at Badge. Looking at Bat, yeah, again, I, I, I love the venue and I love going in there. It's such a, you know, a welcoming place and the beer's good, um, you know, if, if, if nothing else. Yeah. A lot of people, I think, who have gotten into, you know, who love beer, you know, love making it and love the idea of being their own boss have walked into a venue like Batch um, that I think it started 2012, did it? Yeah, yeah. I think it's about right. Um, yeah, 2012, 2015, yeah. Have walked in there and been inspired to this is what I want to do. Um, but again, they get all of the vibe of being in there, which is always assisted a little bit by drinking the beer and, you know. Tasty beverages, yep. Um, and, and, but also the way the beer makes you feel, which is why we drink it. Um, and they walk away feeling very good. But what would you say to someone that was inspired by their time in Batch about what should you consider before you go and do this yourself? You know, having and not just batch, but I'm using yeah. batch as an example. A, brewery, of a, a, yeah, an example. a very small yeah. brewery that's driven by passion, um, that's inspired people to want to follow their own passion. You know, what should they think before they try and emulate that? Um, that's a great question, and like it's hard because I don't want to just talk about batch and it, it, it's a microcosm. It's it's not it's batch specifically. Exactly yeah, right. Um, but I think. Like anyone, like I'll, I'll, I'll put it this way. Um, so I do, you know, do beer judging, and you've done beer judging as well, Matt, right? I try and avoid um, it, but yeah, I, I, I have done it. Yeah. <laughs> so you know, like when you're you jump in the, the taxi in the day, and you're like going home, and the guy's like, "Oh, what did you do today?" He's like, "Oh, I was judging beer." He's like, "Oh, that's the best job ever." He's yes. like, "It's actually not that. Like, it's pretty hard. It's like while it is enjoyable, it's fun. But it's it's not what everyone thinks it is, and I think." Working in a brewery and owning a brewery is very much that same thing, right? Um, yeah, you get to do amazing things, but people don't see all the other stuff that happens to get to that point. Um, man, like trying to keep two venues open during COVID and trying to write rosters when every five minutes someone else is coming down with COVID, like that's a great example. Like, yeah. Um, trying to keep the doors open and venues and having physically having enough staff to actually man venues when you're in the middle of a pandemic. Uh, these are all the all, all the things that... Even as you said, you know, having somebody dedicated to doing social media, which is one of the hidden costs, yeah. you know, c constantly being front of mind, I'd imagine, isn't something that people put into the spreadsheet when they're thinking yeah. malt, hops, you know, what's the cost of my beer? Yeah, yeah. Um, 
you know, it's everything from, you know, cleaning the venue to licensing to like, there are so many other aspects. Um, I think, yeah, people don't understand how much boring admin there is as well. Um, you know, it's, and it's the reason why I never want to be a brewer. Like, while I have the utmost respect for people who brew beer, like, you're a glorified janitor that actually <laughs> do stuff. And I don't mean any disrespect by that, but, like, 90% of the job in, in, a, in a brewery is cleaning, right? Like, people don't, like, you know, like, you're not sitting there raking out the mash bin going, like, this is what I wanted to do today. It's just some, a task that has to be done. Um, yeah, so I think there's a lot of that. and I But also, I've, like... Chris and Andrew were awesome. There was people who were like, hey, I want to, can I come and work at the brewery for a week because I want to open a venue and I want to get an idea about mm. it. And they would let them come in and do that. And that was, you know, they were so willing to open and, and share. I hope they and, gave them the shittiest tasks <laughs> to, to make the experience <laughs> I, meaningful. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you want to deep scrub all my glasses? Yeah, sweet. <laughs> uh, yeah, no. But it, no, it's true. There is a lot of that stuff. So, like, if you do want to go in and do that, do something like that. Get involved. Work in a venue. If you want to open up a bar and you've never poured a beer before, that's the first thing I would be doing. Instead of doing your brand, I'd be getting a job behind the bar. Um, I hope that answers your question. No, no, it, it, it absolutely does. Um, and I'm just, I'm just very, very conscious of time. You've, again, it's the, the, the curse of having such a long career. I don't want to uh, skim over anything, particularly your most recent job because you have recently ended up in White Bay, which is one of the newer generation of craft beer breweries that opened yeah. <laughs> literally as COVID hit. Yeah, um, yeah. But, you know, it, it's got some, I guess, some industry um, dynamos behind it. So it's it, it's probably at the other end of the craft spectrum from uh, a, a little batch brewery. Um, it, it, yeah. It's got resources behind it. Um, and and you've, you've come on as the head of hospitality and community. Tell us about that role. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's so exciting because White Bay is a brewery that I've been a big fan of their beers and people in that business for a long time. Um, Geographically, it is a very, very close brewery to my house. Um, it is an eight-minute drive. So, um, and also, it brews an amazing Czech-style pilsner, which is probably my favorite style of beer. So, um, has a lot going for it. Is that um, Gantry? Just so I can name check yeah, it, because that's Crane, uh, yes. that's Gantry what I like. Gantry Crane. That's always what I order. Yes. Yes. Um, yeah. Um, so, it's a brewery that I've admired for a long time. Um, it has a low has a lot of people involved in the brewery that. I quite admire in the beer industry as well. Um, but it was a, a job I wasn't openly going out and trying to trying to grab. I'd finished up at Batch, taken, uh, I was taking a month off just to relax. I, well, basically, I decided that I could probably financially afford not to work for about three or four months. And so I wasn't in a rush to, to get another job. And I was not sure if I was still going to be in the beer industry. Um, I was... A little burnt out and um you know talking about trying to run venue keep venues open during COVID and all that stuff the last few years had been pretty pretty taxing um but um just by chance had run into a few of the crew at, at white bay and um they were like oh look do you want to just come and have a coffee have a chat and during my month of unemployment i had a lot of chats because you know some people were like oh do you want to come have a job and other people just wanted to catch up and see where i was up to and 
you know, it's one of those things that's a lot easier to catch up with people when you're not working seven days a week or five days a week. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so I had, yeah, spent that time to catch up with a lot of people I really admire in the industry. Um, and I was sitting on the edge about, do I want to stay? Do I want to go do something else? Um, what yeah, would you have um, done? Would you have gone back to music or? No, well, yeah, we could also go on another side tangent, but very quickly, okay. um, during, during COVID, I um, started teaching myself 3D design, like CAD work. Um, so, uh, and I started a little side hustle business on the side where I'm doing 3D modeling, 3D design and 3D printing. So I actually like, and that all started just quickly because I had to take two weeks off at Batch because my annual leave was too high. And it was during lockdown. I was like, well, I can't go away. What can I do? So I did the nerdiest thing I could and I bought a 3D printer and figured out how to use it. It's because I figured that would be a constructive way to spend two weeks off work. Um, but yeah, so I, I yeah, so I'm actually studying one day a week at TAFE doing um, CAD CAD design, so computer aided design. Um, so you know, I'm just a giant nerd. Um, so um, yeah, so I was like, do I go into that field? I'm you know, I'm studying one day a week doing it, um, but uh, ended up sitting up catching up with um, with ATS um, from from White Bay, and we had a really awesome conversation about where the how the brewery's been what they've done um lessons they've learned along the way and also what their plan is mm-hmm. for the next phase of that brewery um because they're with you know like um a few people who are like moved on from the brewery and a few changes it's a bit of a transitional period i guess you could say um and so we had a really open honest chat and it was just really exciting and talked about what the plans are for the brewery for the next phase, what he's already got in place, what the team have already got in place to make that happen and what they're looking for to make that happen. And I was sold instantly. And so, I, you know, we, we said, you know, we had a coffee, we like talked and then kept in touch over the next couple of weeks. And one day I just messaged him and I was like, mate, if you want, I'm keen. Um, I'm having other conversations and I'm, you know, people ask me to catch up and I would much rather tell them, don't worry, I've got something sorted, um, where you're at. And so we, you know, we decided I'll come on board and it's been an amazing experience for a month so far. So my role is, uh, as head of hospitality is looking after the venue, the customer experience in the venue, um, and also our events and community. So that's going to be like, you know, beer festivals, that type of stuff, um, all our sponsorships and um, our support in the greater community. But phase one is really about working on the experience in the, in our venue. Uh, so a lot of training of our bar team um, and then just that overall customer experience where, when people like yourself get to come in and how, how much time and what, what fun do you have in the venue. And so, yeah, that's, um, yeah. And also just, getting involved with an amazing brew team and some awesome beers. One of the things I've talked about on the podcast recently um, is the aesthetic for craft breweries was almost established, you know, 20 years ago. You, you find a, a warehouse, put in a brewery, um, yeah. and people will pay to come and sit on cracked concrete um, and, and and have beer um, with uh, food trucks. And, and you know, not, not being unkind, that was the, but that's, that's the model that to some extent um, White Bay uses. Is that still a relevant model um, for a lot of people? And, and, and what are you hoping to bring to the hospitality experience uh, for people walking through the door now? 
Um, I guess I would say that can still be a relevant model. Um, like there are still breweries opening up and doing that and there's nothing wrong with that. But um, I think for White Bay, where we are situated in Sydney and on the Balmain Peninsula, it, it's a bit of a different different aspect and it's sort of taking the venue to be more of a wholesome venue experience. And I think if you look at new breweries opening up now, like the tasting room or the venue aspect of a brewery is whereas before that might have been an afterthought and i think chris and andrew at bash could will probably attest to the point that they never planned to have a venue that was like oh we should probably put a bar in and then yeah. <laughs> um but it's now so much more of the concept phase of of a brewery right mm. um and economically like you know you're if you're selling all your stock through wholesale and in the hope that maybe in three months time someone might pay their bill or you could sell beer straight over the bar and have cash straight into your venue so you can pay your staff and buy more stuff to make beer and stuff like that as well on a very simplistic term. But I think, um, yeah, so it is a bit more of a, more of a whole venue experience than just sitting on an Ikea, uh, $9 stool, on a piece of concrete, if that makes sense. Yeah, um, that's pretty much how I've described it. <laughs> the Ikea, so I'd forgotten to mention the Ikea stool. Um, but yeah, so it is like a, a bit more, growing into a bit more of a mature venue. I wouldn't say it's me doing all this. It's, it's just a very much a, where the venue has been heading and helping it steer into that direction. Um, yeah, so building our own kitchen, which we're in the process of doing at the moment. Um, while food trucks are amazing, and they are the, the lifeblood of any brewery tasting room and any staff member who works in the brewery will tell you that as well. Um, being able to have a bit more control and work on the relationship between the beer and food at the same time is something I'm really excited to do. Um, and having a bit more of a consistent offering that's not changing every week will help with that. Um, and also just uh, we have a young bar team who's really enthusiastic but need a bit more work on their beer knowledge and that's not a slight on them as well but a big part of what i'm doing very early on in my stages is uh converting that passion into knowledge um again it's funny it's a very nice way to uh to to bring it back to the very start of the conversation is there where you were you know what 15 100 years ago yeah yeah and i think but the industry has moved on is is the only point i'll make the industry has moved on but the basic thing of having an awesome experience with someone behind the bar who can not look down on you or like preach to you, but like have an open conversation and help you find the right beer because, you know, we've got 14 taps at white Bay and still to this day, people come up and they are like, like any brewery, you're like, I don't know what any of these things mean. And so it's about having that conversation and teaching your staff to be like, well, what do you like? What, you know, if you just drink Great North, and that's fine, but we can still help you find something on tap that's going to work for you. And I would much rather pour 15 tasters and let, let someone find the perfect beer than, than buy one beer and go, I hate that brewery, that was shit, I don't like that beer, and then, and then leaving. Um, so, yeah, so I think it's about having that experience um, and setting the right tone of being educative but not throw it down to people's throat. If someone just wants to have a beer, I will pour you a beer. If you want to have a half an hour conversation about hops, I will be more than happy to have that conversation as well. And it's about training the staff and giving them the confidence to have those conversations. And then I think a lot of the time with tasting room staff, it's not that they don't know, but they don't have the confidence to have those conversations. 
And so arming them with the right terminology to, and the confidence to have those conversations. I'm probably going to get a text from uh, Paul Daly, who I know is a listener and uh, <laughs> is, founded the um, Cicerone um, community um, that, that we've, yes. we've talked about. And uh, just sort of looking at how long we've run, we're probably not going to get to do that, but we might even get you both on to talk about that whole, because there is a whole podcast in where the industry is now in terms of service. So I will bring it to a close by, you know, looking back on your career um, and you, you have worked in every element of, except for brewing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No one's going to hire me as a brewer after what I said before, but anyway. That's <laughs> and, and you've also, your career has run the gamut of the professionalization of the industry and also yeah. the pressurization of the industry as there is a lot more pressure on businesses to succeed from the start now. What would your advice be to anyone that currently, you know, what, what do you see about the industry now um, that you sort of just see as a common mistake um, without calling anybody out, but just something that, you know, one of those, if the shoe fits, wear this. One of the things I think is like finding your identity as a brewery. Um, and I think what works so well in Marrickville is like, you know, or the inner west brewery crawl is you have so many breweries in such a close proximity but every one of them feels different and is pretty genuine to that ownership team and that team of who that venue is. Um, I see it sometimes with cafes now and like you know, there's that Melbourne cafe look, I guess you could say, which are people in the US now are like, they're, they're opening Melbourne style cafes. Um, I think a lot of it's about finding your identity as a brewery and your team. And that doesn't have to be ownership. That can be the brew team, the bar team, whatever, but finding that what's genuine about you and that bringing that across. Um, Cause I think if you're trying to do something, you're not, you get caught out. And, but if you're, if it's something that you're passionately who you are, that sings through and it rings, people might not know it at the time, but it rings true to the experience that they have there as well. And I think that's uh, great advice. And yeah, just as we tick over to uh, 70 minutes, I will say, <laughs> Liam Prayer, thank you so much for being part of this conversation. This is why uh, I should have had you, had you on long ago. Um, and uh, hopefully we'll have you on again soon. Mate, I'd love it. Thank you very much. It's been a great chat. And yeah, I would love to double, double team with Paul and some of the other Cicerone community and talk about what's going on there as well, because that, like you said, it's a very important aspect. But um, thank you for having me. Pleasure. And that was Liam Pereira. You know the drill. We can only make this happen because of people who support the podcast, whether advertisers or listeners. If you work in the industry and benefit from what you learn through this podcast, help us to continue to inform and educate and rock the boat when needed by sponsoring the show or advertising on the site. If you'd like to find out how you can do that, email sam at bruisenews.com.au. Just with beer festivals and everything else. We can only keep doing it if you think it's valuable and if it's worth supporting. We'll be back on Friday with Brews News Week with all of the insight and analysis of the news of the last seven days and hasn't it been a busy one. We look forward to joining you then. In the meantime, thanks for listening.